0: Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Hello. Yes, I'm on. Um, It really is a privilege um, to be here. It's been five years at least... Since we were here, and we haven't been able to get back to uh, to Australia because of COVID and ticket prices and quarantining in hospitals and all that kind of thing, but it is absolutely awesome to be back. I'm seeing familiar faces, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up with with different folks. Um, like Paul said, we'll be back again uh, next month, sometime next month, to share a little bit about ministry that's been going on in Indonesia. So we'll save that talk for then. Um, but, yeah, it's absolutely terrific to be back. If you don't know me, I'm a Redlands boy. I'm one of you. I was a pastor at Cleveland for a few years, then uh, pastoring in Tassie for a few years. And then, yeah, like I said before, we've been in, in Indonesia for the last seven odd years, thereabouts. But, yeah, it's terrific to be here with you uh, again. Um, Some of you, uh, just so that you know, some of you who help out with the Big Arvo or Mini Mornings, you might know our kids, Josiah, Eliana, have been going to the Big Arvo, so if you know them, if they've behaved well, they're our kids. (laughs) Um, If they haven't, we don't want anything to... No. Uh, And then Mini Mornings, uh, Amy's been heading along to that with Elijah, our youngest. Um, Tonight, uh, we're... we're going on with the series. There's been a series, apparently, uh, happening here in the evening services on intimacy with God. How do we build intimacy with God? And there's been different speakers sharing their own uh, experiences, thoughts about how they themselves have been able to build uh, and develop intimacy with the Lord. It's a great topic. I don't know what's been shared, so there's a chance that what I'm saying has already been said. Can't help that. Sorry about that i 'm guessing that there have been people who have shared on spiritual disciplines the importance to be de- delving into the Word of God and prayer, or perhaps people have been sharing about um, being filled with the spirit and so forth and all there 's so many things that could be said about building intimacy with god the what What I want to do is talk about saying it 's a little bit different from those um, because for me, the thing that destroys intimacy with the Lord more than anything else is when I lose track of trusting in Jesus alone for my salvation. Because when that happens, um, I doubt my salvation, and I feel like God is angry with me or disappointed in with, with me, and I just want to run away. Happens all the time. So, um, what well, doesn't happen all the time. I, I, in the lives of Christians, it can happen all the time. It's been a long day. So, let me explain a little bit more what I mean by that. There's many, many Christians, according to Australian statistics for the record, it's like 50% of Australian church-going Christians, and I'm pretty sure in Indonesia it's more than that. There's lots and lots and lots of Christians who have this as their Christian experience. What we do is we sin, because we sin every day, and then after we sin, we feel, we know that God sees it, because God sees everything. Right, And then we feel like he's disappointed in me or he's angry with me. So what do we do? We run away from him. We do the Jonah thing, which is really stupid because you can't run away from God, but we run away from God anyway. And after we feel better, in other words, when we forget about it, we come back to him again and then we do it again. And it happens again and again and again. And that is not the gospel. That is not good news. That is a burdensome life filled with doubt. Constantly feeling like he is angry or disappointed in me—that is not the gospel, but that is the Christian life for a lot of people, and it's burdensome. It's not good news. And so, when that happens, when that cycle is happening, there is no intimacy with God. Do you agree? Have you experienced this? Yeah. We do the run away from God thing. Is anyone willing to own up? I've done this lots. And for me, the thing that most creates intimacy with God is when I am absolutely 100% sure, positive, that right now, before Him, I am 100% saved, righteous, forgiven, accepted, saved forever. When I know that, not just want to know that, but really know that, believe that, that creates an intimacy with God that is unmatched. When I'm truly sure that I am saved, right? I am saved. I'm on planet Earth for a, a few years and then I'm gone to heaven with him forever. It's hap- It's going to happen. It's locked in. When I'm totally sure that God is th- Pleased with me, right? So, when I'm sure of that, it creates more intimacy than anything else because it I don't run away from him. In fact, I'm filled up with this joy and this praise for him, and so on. And so, that's all I want to share about tonight. And uh, what I want to do is share about a text here, it's up on the screen Ephesians 2 1 to 13, where we see a bit about how we're saved and my hope is that tonight any one of us who is saved which i'm presuming is the vast majority of us we will walk out these doors knowing not doubting knowing that we are already righteous in his sight already saved already it's done he's pleased with us right now not because we're amazing we're a bunch of idiots. We sin all the time. No offense. Please don't be offended. But because of Jesus, and we'll see that. So the text, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 13. So if you've got your Bible, you can uh, open it if you'd like, or it's going to be up on the screen. Oh, wow. You're the... You can click. Go for it, mate. That would be awesome. I'm not very good at multitasking. What I want to do is not read through the whole text at once, because um, there's some... Uh, uh, there's some interesting and tricky bits to, uh, to to get, and so I just want to share bit by bit to make sure that we get what's going on in this text, and then that's it. There's no three points after that, or application after that, or anything like that. I just my hope for tonight, for the time we've got, is to simply share what the text says, make sure we get it, and that's enough. Agree? fantastic let's pray before we read father as we turn to your word um we're here as your children and and we just yeah father we ask that you'd um speak to us to each of us father you know that there are some of us perhaps many of us who have a tendency to doubt that we are saved And so, Father, we pray that um, as a result of tonight, we would have right thinking, right understanding of salvation. Father, speak to each of us, please, through this text. If there are some here who haven't been saved, Father, we pray that that would be made very clear. And for those who have been saved, Father, we pray for the joy of salvation the clarity of salvation. We pray for this, Father, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians uh, uh, 2, verses 1 to 3, first of all. But as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So, um, Paul's writing to... Paul's big point here, I think it's pretty straightforward what he's saying here, you believers used to be dead, spiritually dead. It's pretty clear. Do you agree? All of us used to be that way. We used to follow the ways of the world, ways of the kingdom, the ruler of the kingdom of the earth, which by the way is simply a synonym for, the, for Satan. Right, who rules the unseen world? I've got. a I had, remember having a conversation with a student in one of my classes, and he was like, "Oh, Pop Chris, Mr. Chris, we shouldn't ride aeroplanes because Christians shouldn't ride aeroplanes because they go into the air, and Satan is the ruler of the air." And I'm, no, that's not what this verse is saying. It's saying that it's a description of Satan operating in the unseen world. It's kind of similar to what you see in chapter six, where demons are described as being spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly. Realms, Ephesians 6, well-known text about spiritual warfare. The meaning is simply that we can't see them. Not that we... uh, You can go back. Stay on this. Yep, there we go. Not that we can't ride airplanes or whatever. So Paul's point is that you used to be this way. You Christians used to be dead in your sins. But now you're not. Now, when you were dead, in following the ways of the world, following Satan, you were Deserving of God's wrath—that's what you were under God's wrath. Now, when we talk about being spiritually dead, there's of course no difference to our eyes between someone who is spiritually dead and someone who's spiritually alive, right? If we were to go into uh, where do you go for nightlife in Vicky Point? I don't know, but if we went out tonight, right, we found a big mob of people, and um, and that many of them aren't believers. We can't see those who are spiritually alive and those who are spiritually dead, right? But in reality, there is a universe of difference between someone who has trusted in Jesus and someone who hasn't yet trusted in Jesus. The person who has is alive with eternal life. The person who hasn't yet is dead, not sick, dead. That's what's being said here. And all of us used to be that way. And one of the tragedies for a lot of Christians is that we still think that we are this way. What I mean is, when you're spiritually dead, what Paul says here is that if you're you're someone who follows the ways of the world and Satan and so on, you are under God's wrath. God is angry with you. He's angry with your sin, this punishment coming. And there are a lot of Christians who live as though God is angry with me. He's disappointed in me. His wrath is on me. And it's wrong. It's not the gospel. That used to be our condition, right, when we were spiritually dead, but it's not anymore. This is in our past. That's verses 1 to 3. But, thank you. Oh, it's so good having a clicker man. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. This, once again, is not hard to understand, I don't think, but it's worth reflecting on. We were deserving of God's wrath, but he chose to make us alive. Did we help? No. We were dead. Dead person doesn't do anything except smell bad. That was us. He made us alive. We don't contribute to it. It was all a work of God. Why did he save us? According to this verse, because of his great love, because he is rich in mercy, not because we're deserving. I have this debate all the time with students in class who think that God has saved me because I am so amazing. It's wrong. We are not amazing. We are tiny creatures on a tiny planet who exist for a moment and then we're gone. And even worse than that, we've become enemies of our creator we are not deserving we are saved because he is full of mercy love it's amazing we don't deserve this verse let's click on click a man thank you and god not only saved us right he raised us up with christ where is christ exalted in heaven raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. We are in Christ. He is in us. That's a doctrine for another day. In the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is really, really, really important to understand. When we talk about getting raised up, we normally talk about it in the future, right? sometime down the track, uh, we're going to get raised up and, and be with Jesus forever and so forth, we will be with Jesus down the track. And that's true, right? Paul, Philippians, I desire, etc. Uh, <laughs> but do you notice what Paul says here? He says, he's not, he's not looking to the future, he's saying God has raised us up. This has happened in the past. So there there is a future raising up which will happen, but there is something about our past, something about our status. There is something that has already happened where Paul is able to say, we have already been raised up. We are already seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's verse 6. And then in verse 7, we see what will happen forever. No, no, stay there. What will happen is that we forever will see more and more and more uh, the incomparable riches of God's grace, which means that we will praise Him more and more and more. We're not going to be sitting around bored in heaven. We're going to be learning and praising, learning and praising. It's going to be amazing. Now, this picture, you might be going, what on earth is going on there? Let me explain. So, um, oh, crikey, how do we explain that? So, imagine that a hundred... On the, what side is that? Left-hand side is righteousness, right? Now this, the problem with, with things like this is that graphs, diagrams, pictures or whatever don't do justice to everything that's going on. So show me grace in this, okay? Try and get what's being communicated. 100 is um, 100% righteous, okay? Imagine that's not righteous, Uh. Righteous. I normally do this in Indonesian, and so it's, it's weird to switch back to English. All right, 20 years. This is you, Victoria Baptist person. You became a Christian, whether or not you knew it, at 20 years old, right? Imagine this is a person. So if someone becomes a believer at 20 years old. Now, what happens is the moment they believe, there is a myriad of miracles that happens. You're forgiven of all of your sins. You are declared righteous in the sight of the Father. You become a child of God. You become a citizen of heaven, etc. There's a myriad of miracles that happens. One of the things that happens is that your status before the Father is transformed such that you become someone who is 100% right, righteous. That is your new status. So you just go straight from zero up to 100%. Boom, done. Does that make sense? Righteous, done. But it's kind of dotted there. So, and then we live. Right? You're still living after 20 years old. Now, what happens in our life? Uh, We don't live at this 100% level. We screw up all the time, we stuff up every day. Uh, This should actually be a lot further down, but I'm not very good. I actually drew this. I hope you're impressed. what happens in Christian life, this is, uh, this is actually the doctrine of sanctification, is we go up and down, we grow in our sanctification, right? So we're going, there are ups and downs, but hopefully you can see that the trajectory is upwards. We are becoming more and more right in the way that we're living, more and more sanctified up and up and up and up and up and up but there are lots of downs in there as well and sometimes in this Christian living thing we just feel like man this is so slow I wish it would go faster but if we look back we can see that there has been growth there has been the Holy Spirit is at work in us there 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 is transformation happening so anyway we're going up and down and up and down but the problem is The way that we are living is still so far away from 100%. Now, what we tend to do as believers is we look at our lives and we see the distance between where we are, I don't know, 20, let's say 20, and 100, and we go, man, I am so far short of where I should be. God must be disappointed in me. He must be angry with me. And we forget that actually at the first moments of faith in Jesus my status was transformed. I'm already righteous. Already. So the Christian life, Christian living, is not an attempt to reach, to reach this new status of being right with God. That is not what Christian living is about. Christian living is, I'm already there. I'm already 100% righteous, forgiven, accepted, loved, more than I know. It's, it's happened. Right? Right? What I'm meant to do in this life right now is seek with all of the power of the Spirit to live as I already am. Live in a way that is consistent with my new identity. Become who I am is the phrase that's frequently used. Does that make sense? Oh, come on. There's like four people who understand. Like, this is amazing. And... There's so much more. I feel like one of these television commercial people. There's more, right? At the end, when you die at 80 years old, sorry if you're nearing 80, (laughs) right? What happens is overnight, your life is transformed. The way that you live and your status uh, become one. They are perfected. Perfection happens. The way that we live and our identity, our status becomes one and we live in a way that is consistent with our identity forever no more sin living righteously and this is a sure hope this is not maybe this will happen down the track this is this is your future right, right now you're somewhere in here going up and down like a yo-yo and you're still a very long way from the top but right now your christian status is Seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Right now, seated, past tense, aorist, if you know Greek. Raised. This is past tense. This has happened. It might have happened years ago for you. It's happened. And we're just waiting. Few more moments. Few more moments, and then we're gonna leave this planet earth, and our lives will be transformed, and we will see our true identity, we will see clearly who we are in Christ Jesus. This is amazing. It totally transforms the way you go about Christian living because we are not trying to become we're not fighting for victory, we are fighting from victory. The the miracles already happened. The status has already changed. It's happened. Now live that way. Okay, I'm getting excited. Um, let's keep going. Why do we doubt? Okay, let's let's stick on these two. Yes, yeah, stick on these two verses. Verse eight and nine. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves; it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Because you were dead. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is just such good news. Now, I think these verses are pretty clear. There is some debate about uh, the Greek. I don't want to go into that. Let's just get the big picture of what's going on here. It is by grace that you have been saved, through faith in Jesus, not by works. So... Couple of questions. I'm hoping we'll all agree on them. Is Jesus's life, death, resurrection enough, is is faith in his life, death and resurrection enough for our salvation? Yes or no? Yes. Another question. Are your works enough to save you? No. We all agree. Yes? So why do we so often doubt our salvation? Why do we so often doubt our salvation? We agree that Jesus is enough and our works aren't. We know the gospel. We know this. So why do we so often doubt our salvation? One of the main reasons is because even though we know this, what we do in reality is still frequently rely on our own goodness, good works, Instead of Jesus alone. We rely on our own good good works for our status before God. I can come before you because of my life. And is your life good enough? No. And so we see our lives and we go, well, I'm not good enough. I'm going to run away, etc. And we forget that the status has already changed. I've got the clicker now. (laughs) The proof that we do this If you want to test yourself, the litmus test is this. If you want to know if you're just, if you're only relying on Jesus for your your salvation, the litmus test is this. When you sin, when you stuff up, do you feel like you need to run away from God? If you do, this is proof that you are not relying only on Jesus. Because if we rely only on Jesus, only on Jesus... If I sin, or if I don't sin, my status is the same. Jesus is enough. It's finished. Test yourself. Our default, for the record, our default is always to rely on ourselves. Which is why this whole preaching the gospel thing, it's got to happen to yourself first. Every day. The person who needs to be preach to most is you right and then once we get the gospel his name was george Mueller, wasn't it the the german bloke who served in england he said the first job of every day is to find yourself happy in god find a mirror preach the gospel until you get it and then you're ready for the day i don't know where that came from anyway um one more thing notice what paul doesn't say here What Paul doesn't say here is you are saved if you feel like God is near. You you are saved if you feel full of joy. You are saved if you feel like you're right. You are saved. The basis for our salvation is not our feelings, feelings will always deceive us. I used to say to some students, I don't say it anymore because it's really inappropriate in Indonesia, but I used to say, if you want good feelings, use narcotics. It's really inappropriate in Indonesia to say that. Because what, what are good feelings, right? If you use narcotics, what happens? I don't know, I've never used them, but apparently you get good feelings then you get a big downer afterwards, right? That's apparently what happens. Don't use drugs, that's not the takeaway message. Feelings, do you end up better after that? No, you end up worse. They deceive. Feelings deceive us. You will feel like God is close to you if you've had yummy food and a good night's sleep. And we often feel that God, how can God be close to me if we've got food poisoning or if we're not sleeping well? You, need, you just need a decent night's sleep, man. Your status hasn't changed. Feelings are not a good basis for our beliefs. What a good basis is, is the Word of God. And Paul, read this. This is so clear. You have been saved. Done. It's amazing. Like, just believe it. Believe it. Like, this is what faith is. Anyway. And one more point, verse 10, you've been saved for a purpose, but let's not uh, dwell on that too much tonight. Uh, Last slide, Uh, 11 to 13, therefore, remember, now here Paul shifts his focus, one of the issues that was going on in Ephesus is that there were big issues between the Jewish background believers and the Gentile background believers, so the non-Jewish mob. And Paul's wanting to make sure that uh, they're all united and so forth. And so there's a big oneness of uh, focus throughout the, the book of Ephesians. And here he's focusing his, his message towards those non-Jewish mob. Uh, therefore, remember you, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, in other words, the Jews, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, right? Before you knew Christ, you were separate from him, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near, not will be, have been. This is your status. You have been brought near. How? Because of your good works. No, you stuff up every day by the blood of Christ. Done. So Paul here shifts his attention to the Gentiles, and he reminds them that they were, I'll just read them again, separate from Christ. This is in the past, excluded from citizenship in Israel. The people of God, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world, this is what you were like. This is your status in the past. Now, what is reality now? Verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near because of Jesus, which is true for all of us. This has Happened. The status has been changed. Past. Past. It could be a few years ago. Doesn't matter if you feel it or not. It's done. God has brought us near to himself. He has saved us. He cares about us. He is our father. And so, before we finish, just about done. If you are someone who likes me at times defaults to thinking that oh man i've stuffed up again how can god be i just want to run away i feel dirty i feel rotten in his presence i just want to run away Um, let texts like this and this is not there are so many of them this is the gospel right? let texts like this remind you remind me that the reason why we can come near to god is that we have already been brought near to him. We are already in his presence in the heavenly status. We're already in Christ, already raised, already saved, already accepted, already forgiven, all, already it's done. The job now is to live in intimacy with him. I don't know about you, when, when this happens for me, when I get this, And I'm pretty thick, so sometimes it takes a while. But when I get it, there is this praise towards Him. Because it's only because of Him, I was dead, praise towards Him that bubbles up. And I just want to be with Him. I just want to talk to Him. I just want to rely. I want to see Him glorified. Is there an amen? Which is why this can be, in my mind, the key to intimacy with God, if you get this, there is intimacy with God. there is intimacy He has brought us near you don't get this, there isn't. God bless Vicki point about this let's pray together um, Father. Um, the, these are such precious truths and so easily forgotten and so easily misunderstood. And, um, and, and Father, we desperately long to believe uh, your word and not believe um, our um, deceitful hearts to believe the deceiver, to believe lies. And so, Father, we pray that um, you would help each of us uh, as we live this already transformed and being transformed Christian life to have the joy of salvation. Father, we are so grateful for your amazing plan of salvation. This is amazing. That right now we are before you as forgiven, accepted, loved, saved people who will be with you forever, waiting a few more moments and then we'll see who we really are already in Christ. Father, this is amazing and it gives joy and hope and strength. And, and so, Father, we pray that you would make the, the truth of these words of the gospel of Ephesians 2 and so many other texts, Father, we pray that you would um, make this continually clear to us each day so we can live out of it. Father, we want to be um, people who are living intimately with you, who are not going and doing our own thing each day and then maybe coming back to you of an evening. Father, we want to walk with you moment by moment and not run away from you at all. And so, Father, please make it clear where there's um, lies or misunderstandings or uh, wrong theology. Father, please break through and help us to get the joy of the gospel. We pray this for your glory's sake and we thank you so much for uh, this text and the way that you speak to us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.